What up, guys? Today is such a fun episode. My girl, Jolene Bryden, is the leading authority in women's health, and she's a spicy doctor, if you will, um, where you wish you would have got sex education from her Even though Sex in the City was great and taught us a lot, Jolene Bryden is the person to listen to. She's the author of the book, Is This Normal? A judgment-free straight talk about your body. And guys, this sexologist, doctor, talks about the BS pressures society puts on women to perform in the bedroom, to always be turned on and always be sexy, and why that's actually detrimental to us and our partners. We also talk about what sexpectations we buy into that always prioritize his pleasure over our own. And we wonder why so many freaking women never experience true orgasm. Guys, it isn't easy and natural for me to talk about sex. But when I realize how damn important that is to our health, to our confidence, to how we show up every day, I felt it was so important to lean in and pay attention and get as much freaking knowledge as we possibly can about our own bodies, about orgasms, and about how we can use those to better our relationships and our confidence. So without further ado, let's dive in with the sexologist herself, Jolene Brighton. Um, And so really today, I want to talk about what the difference is between men and women and our sex drive and our libidos. Yes. Well, I think, you know, where you started right there, like the word drive, I think this is how we've all been taught, right? Sex drive puts a lot of pressure, a whole lot of pressure on the whole situation because it's not really a drive, like hunger or thirst, like you're not going to die. But because we put that word sex drive on everything, it makes people feel like, no, but this is something I have to be doing. And that pressure alone, that puts a lot of women out of the mood. Mm-hmm. So just the pressure of like, I have to keep up with my partner or he wants it. Therefore, you know, I have to, I have to be turned on. I have to be doing more. That kind of pressure. I always, you know, the round Valentine's Day bring up this conversation because just the idea of Valentine's Day and that you're supposed to have sex on that day or, you know, be intimate in any way. That puts a lot of people out of the mood. And that's a very common feeling. Mm. Also on your wedding night. That's the other thing. (laughs) Wedding nights, anniversaries. Anytime there feels like it becomes a sexpectation, that's when people are like, yeah. And and it's not just women, but it can be men too. But we see a lot of women who are like, now they feel this pressure. I have anxiety about it. Like I'm not, like I'm no longer in the mood because I have this stress. For men, it can also be a situation where they have this pressure. They're feeling um, like they have to perform right? Because we talk a lot about how, you know, women, their libido and all these things, but what gets left out of the conversation is that society puts a lot of pressure on men. You're supposed to perform. You're supposed to be a stallion in the bedroom. You're supposed to be able to go forever. By the way, the research shows us that women actually don't want you to go forever. That's not <laughs> really... Surprise. I know. What a surprise. <laughs> and, and, and that's where things get tricky, right? Because you're talking about Cosmo, Sex in the City. I mean, I talk about Sex in the City in the book because, of course, like so many of us were like, Samantha, teach us, please. Like we did not get this information. But when you look at like Cosmo... Cosmo is much like our sex education. It's always very male-centered. How to please your man is the headline. Like how to give a better blowjob. How it's always about them. And it's that kind of messaging uh, like there that also puts a lot of pressure on women to feel like, oh, I have to be, you know, not thinking about my pleasure, not thinking about what I like. And some of the tips that they give like are not even like, they're not even what men want or what your partner might want. Sometimes there, you'll see things where it's like, oh, you know, suck as hard as you can on the tip. And like, 
Not necessarily. Like someone might not be into that.、Mm. Um, and I think you know things like, oh, make sure that like you're nibbling his ear. Like you know things, even like little benign things like that. Like in comparison,、mm. it's like, well, maybe that does it for them, but maybe it doesn't. And I think that's the big piece that we're missing is not talking about what do you like. Do you like this? That can be part of the consent conversation. Like consent can be sexy、mm-hmm. and also intel, so that you're not just you know wandering around in the dark in the dark of like where what do you want from me? Dude, I love this so much. The expectation thing is so fire because when you were saying it, I was like, oh my god, we've not only been doing women a disservice, but also the men a disservice.、Oh, yeah. Um, so talk to me about that, and then you know, in your book, which is amazing, there's so much information. Like I really want to go、um, deep into all the stats and the data because it's fascinating to、yeah. me. Because like the first thing was, forty percent of women have、uh, low libido.、Mm, they yeah, that they'll report that they believe they have low libido.、Mm. Yeah, so low libido and inability to orgasm are some of the top sexual complaints that women have. When you get into The research and really understanding what is libido all about. Most women don't have a low libido, so I actually say in the book, like, you know, I'll ask patients, like, how does how does it like you're sitting here comparing, like, do you compare your menstrual cycle to like your friends and your neighbors, like your sleep habits and all that, and get all worked up of like I must not be more normal because it's not just like them. Why would your, you? You have these variations. Your sexual desire will also have variations as well, and so with sexual desire. You know, everything is again from the male perspective. I mean, even medicine has, for a very long time, been like the male body is like this is the archetype, this is the standard which we like compare everything to. And then there's this like inferior model called the female body, and it comes from baby making accessories. <laughs> like that is very much. I mean, even in horrifying. I mean, so much of like art and、uh, you know history and medicine. Like we have seen that's been the narrative that plays through. And so, when it comes to sexual desire, it's very confusing. I feel like、um, it's kind of like watching a tennis match in some ways, where it's like, oh, you're supposed to be like into him, but not too into him, because otherwise, like, what does that say about you? And like, oh, but you want to be, you know, you want to be into it enough, but oh, not too much, because like then you're too much like a man. But you should be more like a man and match him. And you're like, what am I supposed to be? Like, I don't even understand. So, in reality. When we talk about sexual desire and women, and why do women engage in sex? What we know from the research is that while men may more inc- be more inclined to be like sex, orgasm, yes, done. That's that's what it's about. Women will engage in sex not just for the orgasm. Orgasms are great. Lots of good reasons to have them. Everybody enjoys them. Like wonderful. However, women also will enter into sex because they want to bond. They want to feel intimate with their partner. They want to feel close. Some women, when they're feeling stressed, it's a way to have that safety and to feel connected to someone. And so, there's a lot of reasons why we'll enter into sex, and there's a lot of things that can inhibit us from even receiving the signals of sex. So we can talk about, you know, there's this spontaneous and responsive desire, and that's where it gets like male, female. We think of a lot, and then there's like. The things that really hit the brakes and hit the gas pedal, which is the sexual excitation and inhibition model. So spontaneous desire is like sex on the brain, like all the time. So you're like walking around, and your brain is constantly serving, just like, is this sex? Is that sex? Like, what's sex? And it's it's primed for that, and that's what we think of like the male archetypes.、Mm. But not all men are like that, and that is normal. Now, on the flip side, there's the responsive desire, and that's where I'm like, I say, like, you got to get going for things to get going. Like, your brain isn't necessarily like, oh, sex, sex, sex. It's like, oh, this is nice. 
hmm, not sure. Okay, things are going. Oh, no, this is really not. Okay, I'm in. I'm in. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do this. And so that is the low libido that most people are describing, saying, oh, I have a low libido. When it really is that you have to have stimuli, like it's going to take stimuli for your brain to start registering sex, for you to start getting into the mood. Whereas the spontaneous person, which is you, like people will say like, oh, my partner, the, you know, when I talk about this, they're more spontaneous and I'm more responsive. And like, you know, that's a problem. We're mismatched. And I'm like, imagine if you were both spontaneous, how would you leave the house? Like that's the new relationship you're talking about, right? Like when you're in a new relationship and you're just like, I'm just thinking about them all the time. Like, yeah. So it's not abnormal to be mismatched with your partner. And it just takes a matter of communicating of like, I'm not going to probably be the person who initiates unless I like set a reminder on my phone to be like, oh, okay, let's initiate. Let's, you know, let my partner likes this. So that's that spontaneous and responsive desire. So I talk about that. There's a whole libido chapter and we've got quizzes and everything to help you understand where you're at. And that's where I take you into understanding, you know, do you have sensitive gas pedals or sensitive brakes? Like where, where are you at on that? Mm. So the sexual excitation model, this came from some brilliant researchers who were like, Hey, it's not just as simple as a light switch. Go figure, right? Turn them on, turn them off. Doesn't work that mm. way. So we can have these variations of like, I'm someone who you know, has like my, it's very easy to like get me accelerated. And there's very few things that inhibit me. So very few breaks for me. And so you're going to be someone who maybe, you know, has, likes to have sex in a car, doesn't mind if somebody, if somebody's going to walk in on you, or maybe that's even exciting for you. So, and then there might be on the flip side, the person who has much more touchy breaks and they're like, the thought of my child walking into the room literally has me out of the mood. I can't even think about getting there. That's normal, but we have to know, you know, what are, and these are the things that we think of like turn-ons and turn-offs, but whenever we have this conversation, like, I mean, it's usually around, like, it's usually around things like, did you get them roses? Did you get them chocolate, scented candles, lingerie, and that stuff, it is important for keeping things spicy and interesting and valuing someone, and there's a whole, you know, complex, uh, you know, thing going on over there, but if you have all these breaks engaged, so we were talking about Mm -hmm. the... Uh, you know, picking up your clothes and helping out with chores and all of that, those can be the breaks. So if we think about a neuronal pathway, so the nervous system, because that's like the main sexual organ, by the way, everybody's like genitals. And I'm like, but nerves. Okay. It's about the nerves. I love that you said that. Yeah. So if you think about it as like a little, you can think of it like a train track. And if you have like, you know, so we're talking about a heterosexual relationship. She asked you like, okay, can you, can you stop by the store and pick this up for me? You don't do it. Okay. That was a break because that just added a stressor. So we just put a block on the train tracks. Um, you know, you're at home. She needs help with the kids. She asked you to do something. You're like, oh yeah, yeah. You're like, give, give me a minute. And you're not helping in some way. That's another break. She tells you, like, I have this really hard day. I need to talk about, like, I need to talk through this. Oh, I don't have time. The game's on right now. We just hit another break. She goes into the room. She sees that you didn't put any of your clothes in the laundry hamper. That's definitely a trigger for her. Now she has to clean up after you. It's put another burden on her. Get another break. So you, the game's over. You come over to her. You're like, oh, you'd be looking so good. Let me start kissing up on you. I know you like these things. You're sending sexy signals. You're like trying to send the train. You have all of these blocks. It'll never get through. And the brain is like, I can't even hear that. 
I cannot even hear that right now. Like any under a normal circumstances of like every, all those blocks are removed. That would be like straight line to like sexy time. Mm -hmm. But because you put all of those blocks in place by, you know, not task sharing, inattentiveness, the things that women need, this is like the stuff that's like everything we need to be in the mood is Mm -hmm. outside of the bedroom. Mm -hmm. You can't get the sex you want. You can't get to the pleasure you want because of those blockades. Oh my God, I love that so much. That was so good. And the analogy of the train is so beautiful because here's the thing. I think so much of us feel shame. Oh, yes. So let's talk about that because thinking through what really gets in the way of um, couples really just embracing each other, having a beautiful relationship, it really does become these slight differences that at the beginning maybe you don't see, maybe Mm -hmm. you don't realize, maybe you don't know, and then maybe it gets... um, you don't address it and then it can get worse. And yeah. then especially when it comes to women and then the shame of their body, the shame of not being able to orgasm. Mm-hmm. Is there something wrong with me? Right. You wrote the whole book. Is this normal? Very much based on that idea of how much we think it's about us and how we think we're, it's abnormal. And then because of that, we then have the shame. And then the yeah. shame becomes the thing that ends up being the biggest sex killer. Absolutely. No, shame is like, I, I'd i be pressed to find anyone who hasn't been taught to be ashamed for their body in some way, even if they had the most sex positive, period positive parents who like, you know, embrace them in their home. They're still walking around in a society that's telling them like, oh, periods are yucky and your body, you have discharge. Oh, that's gross. I mean, even uh, if you remember when Cardi B's WAP came out and their commentary on it of men, um, I think it was Ben Shapiro who was like, WAP, that's a medical condition. You should really get it checked out. And I'm like, WAP is not a medical condition. Like that is not like, that is not what I even wrote about that in the book where I'm like, because I had so many people writing me saying, and I was like, where is this coming from that people think that because they can self-lubricate and that they have copious amounts of self-lubrication, like not a problem, but they thought it was a problem. They thought that something wasn't, was wrong with them. It's even little things like that that can send women into a spiral in their mind thinking, oh my gosh, like, am I too wet? When has a, when has a man ever complained about someone being too wet? And if they, if they do, like, just kick them. You don't need them. Like, they're mm-hmm. out. Boot them. But you're so right about the shame piece. And body image issues can not only put you out of the mood, but it can stop your arousal. So you can be aroused. You can be into it. And then you can fall into the spectatoring, which is where you basically are on the sidelines watching yourself in the act, being like, oh, God, do they notice my roles in this position? Oh, God, is my cellulite showing? Like, oh, I wonder if this light is showing my stretch marks, like all the things that we've told we should be insecure about, which are totally normal to have on normal bodies. And you get in your mind. You cannot have an orgasm unless you're present and you will find that like, okay, things now start to get dry. I'm like not as much into this. Mm. Now you're like, something's wrong with me. Why can't I have enough lubrication? Why am I not orgasming yet? And so it can really become this spiral. And I think for women to understand that men's brains are flooded with so many feel-good hormones while during sex, they cannot pay attention to how your rolls look or how your cellulite, <laughs> like they can't, they don't have the capacity for it. And if anybody is like, if anybody is doing that, they don't, you have to ask the question, do they really deserve to be having sex with you? Like, do they? I love that so much. This is so fascinating. 
Okay, so let's keep going down the orgasm part. Because if if we really believe, okay, orgasm is amazing for a relation. In fact, mm-hmm. let's start there. What's the benefits of orgasms? Oh, what are not the benefits of orgasms, Ooh. right? <laughs> so orgasms are great for decreasing stress. They can they release hormones that have anti-aging capacity. So um, the secret to living longer is good sex and lots of pleasure. I mean, Pleasure is so important to our health that the World Health Organization says, like, pleasure should be part of these health conversations. Um, it's something that gets overlooked a lot that, you know, because that myth of, like, women, women don't enjoy sex as much as men. Women, they have a, they can't orgasm. I mean, but clearly, like, men want to help us get there because it's one of the top searched, um, if you go into Google, how to make a woman come is, like, one of the top search terms. So, it's clearly something that uh, is on the top of people's minds. So, you know, the inability to orgasm can be related to all kinds of issues. So like the fear of pregnancy being one, if you don't want to be pregnant, especially in our current political state in this country, that'll definitely put you out of the mood and can make it so that you're not able to become aroused or even have an orgasm. Anything that distracts your mind. So if you are someone who's neurodivergent, you're, you're, you can get distracted. Neurodivergent. Neurodivergent. So if you have like ADHD or autism, mm-hmm. you're on, um, in either of those camps. It is, so sex can become very redundant and repetitive. Like we, so if we talk about, um, you know, having vaginal penetration, it's like, you know, the moves, you know, your partner's moves, you know, how everything's going to happen. And the brain can be like, this again, this is so boring. This is like commuting. Like, and like, we don't even know how we got to work. Like when we're commuting, because like, we just leave our mind and leave our body. Like people can get really distracted. So that's something else. Like if you're not present, you're not mindful. That's why in the book, I'm like, you might have to spice it up. Like maybe you need to try to play with your senses. You need to bring in feathers or you need to bring in like different textures like lace or temperatures like ice or something that is warming. Be careful down there with anything that's like warming, but you might need different things because your mind is getting distracted. And that is a normal experience. I think people don't want to talk about that, about how like sometimes I get bored during sex. Sometimes I get distracted that happens. And that's where we need to communicate. Mm. But then we go back to the shame piece and it's like, well, do we talk about this? Like we all do this, but do we actually talk about it? And so, you know, to talk about the benefits of orgasms for women, they're so important for keeping the health of the vulva and the vagina, the pelvic floor. Um, The clitoris is a use it or lose it organ. You can have clitoral atrophy, so we do want to be stimulating it. And that's why we have guides in the book for toys. And because if you don't have a partner, you can have a solo session and make sure you keep up the health of your vulva. Um, and then, you know, there's been some research showing that it can help with immune system function. So having orgasms, having a good session, that can help with your immune system so that your immune system is just better equipped to do its job. It can also help with optimizing your hormones around your menstrual cycle and in the case of period sex, it may even shorten the period a bit so that your period's not as long. It can relieve period cramps. So lots and lots of benefits. Oh my God. Okay. So now that you've listed that, that was amazing. Um, why the hell do 80% of women fake it? Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, the top reason is it's an altruistic behavior. It's an altruistic deceit where they deceive their partner because they want their partner to feel good, right? Because the narrative in society is that 
the man is like, he can please any woman. He can go forever. He can like, you know, he's supposed to do all of these things and be a performer in the bedroom, right? And, and pleasing women is definitely something that men are told that they should, they should know how to do. Nobody's teaching them about the clitoris, but they are expected to please a woman, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's a big reason. It's also a way to, um, opt out. <laughs> so once, you know, things are going, you don't want to, um, you're like, there's no amount of communication that's going to help me here. This is just bad. Like, and I don't know what to do here. And I, I don't want to hurt this person's feelings, but I want to get out of this situation. So women will fake orgasms for that reason. Um, sometimes there's pain and they just want their partner to stop. And they're like, okay, this is how I'll get them to stop like quicker. And it's not usually a situation because people are like, oh, women are just trying to trick men. They're usually trying to make that man feel good, satisfy that man and get their needs met. And so they're trying to find like, what is the best way to do that? But unfortunately, this is what is part of, you know, what contributes to the orgasm gap, uh, which mm-hmm. is the differential between heterosexual men and women having orgasms. of men having orgasms, 65% of women having orgasms. And people will always come in and argue with me and say, well, it's just because it's so difficult to make a woman orgasm. It's like near impossible. And I'm like, but there have been studies showing that if she does it herself, she can get there in four minutes. So no, like 95% of women can orgasm on their own. And, you know, that's based on studies of self-reporting. So we have to ask the question of like, how accurate and what's the influence around that. But we also know in lesbian couples, it's over 85% are orgasming. So, okay, there's a big deferential there and it's knowledge of the clitoris. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal. Like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easier easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is the negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it, especially if 
you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Is that because women just like, I know your body because I know mine? Or is it women are more comfortable talking to other women and so if you're in a lesbian relationship you're just more comfortable in telling them what your pleasure is and then to your point that 95% of women masturbate will come so the fact that only 65% of straight women come but if you Mm -hmm. masturbate it's 95% yeah there's a big gap between having sex with someone and then doing it yourself. Mm -hmm. So going back to the fake it thing I think it's both we're maybe not telling our partner and then also our partner thinks that they're pleasing us. Mm Yeah, I know. So and then you don't get the pleasure you want, right. which is a crime. <laughs> so what do you think about the lesbian then, the 86%? Why do you think that they're able to have more uh, orgasms than in a heterosexual relationship? Well, I think if you're a vulva owner, finding the clitoris is much easier because you understand, like you understand the anatomy. And even if you haven't looked down there, I have had people ask me like, well, you know, it's crazy how many women haven't looked. So can they not find the clitoris? I'm like, it is not a, it is not a C organ. It is a fill <laughs> organ. Like you don't have to see it to know where it is. Oh, it's very true. I mean, everybody Mm. like who's watching can leave us a comment and let me know. Is that true? Like, is that a fact that it is a Phil organ? So, um, so with that, I think that's just being acquainted with the anatomy, already understanding it, having masturbated yourself, you're going to understand. So even if you show a man where the clitoris is, um, I have seen things online. Please, nobody search my browser history in writing this book because I'd be like, where are people getting this information from? Google it. And it opens up and the, the website seems legit and it has text. And then I scroll down and I'm like, I did not consent to this. Like, what just happened? <laughs> so yes, there is information online that's like, oh, women love it if you strum it like a guitar string. Oh, you want to tap it. Like things that I'm like, where, like, why are men asking men? for this for this advice and you see all these men on social media being like men if you want to please women this is how i'm like you need to sit down sir okay you are not the expert on the vulva like let's let a woman stand up but like in reality you need to ask your partner so it may very well be that women feel more comfortable having those conversations as well your book is just so full of gold girl it was like what is it? Two out of three people, uh, millennials, um, are too embarrassed to even say the word clitoris. Oh, vagina. Vagina. Yeah, vagina. I mean, most sex educators won't say the word vagina. They'll say the penis, penis all day, every day, but they will not say vagina. Um, even uh, Grey's Anatomy, the TV show. Yeah. They came up with the word vajayjay because they didn't want to say vagina. They did not want to say it. 
but they said penis like over like yeah. it was like over 150 times in an episode but would not say vagina so i think that we're also like i'm always trying to be like how did we get here yeah like i think we also are the contributors to not saying it out loud not repeating mm-hmm. the word as if like this should i mean there should be zero shame around it yeah um and then um i think i believe you said like, is it freud that basically screwed us all this dude <laughs> really the worst like, right literally, yeah so if you don't mind explaining i had no idea and then yeah. we're like oh this is why I always thought there's something wrong with me because I thought I should absolutely be able to orgasm through penetration. Mm-hmm. And I was like, if I can't, then there's definitely something wrong with me. Yes, yes. Well, and let me ask you, like, what were you taught in sex ed? Like, what was your Nothing. sex education like? I don't even remember having sex ed. <laughs> the only thing I remember, my grandmother, my Greek grandmother told me a child was brought through a stalk. Oh, like wow. The, yeah. The, the old, there was that Accurate. old school. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Very accurate. And then really it was nothing no education and then I remember one day all of a sudden my mum showing me how a tampon a tampon works by yeah. putting it under a tap and she's like and this is what happens and it expands and I'm like and what do you want me to do with that <laughs> I know and where does that go that was it yeah that was it until my late I was already having sex I was yeah. in a relationship and I was already having sex before I even looked down there yeah yeah so you want to talk about why I also was faking it yeah because I was I was too ashamed. I was like, you watch the movies mm-hmm. and this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And for a lot of people when they're in, you watch the movies, that is like so true, right? But for a lot of people in sex ed, vagina is taught as like babies come out, penises go in and is very male centered. Mm-hmm. It is very male centered. And that's how a lot of things get taught. And so we are taught that the vaginal orgasm is like the end all be all, right? That started with Freud. So he said the clitoral orgasm is infantile. And what you should be trying to achieve is a vaginal orgasm. Well, who does that serve? That serves a penis. That doesn't serve women. The penis and the clitoris are the same tissue, but the penis has the job of ejaculating and passing urine. So it has other functions. Clitoris does not have the same job. So therefore, it gets to be very, very sensitive. Its only job is pleasure. Like, that's it. So we've got like 100% pleasure organ. Then we've got pleasure, plus we got to pass things through an organ over here. And we have no problem accepting that, like, oh, you have to stimulate a penis to make a man mm, orgasm. Mm. So why wouldn't we accept that you have to stimulate the exact same tissue, the female component, to make a woman orgasm? So it did start with Freud. And I want to say, you know, you're saying, like, oh, we're to blame for that. I really think a lot of medicine and sex education is to blame for that. I mean... In medicine, they removed the clitoris from anatomy texts. They just made it non-existent. Um, it, medicine wasn't even acknowledging the clitoris until a couple decades ago. And forever, and still, it's it was like, like... the 80s or something, or the yeah, 90s, you're like, that's the when 90s. it was discovered. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, discovered. It was discovered, no, it was like 1800s it was discovered, but it was like, I call it the clitoral conspiracy. It was like a clitoral conspiracy <laughs> to keep this information, because how dare women have pleasure? Oh my goodness. Like, that's not what it's about. And I think that if, uh, so, you know, so often the narrative is like, men have to have an orgasm. That's how babies are made. And if people thought women have to have an orgasm, that's how babies are made, then it would be more of a priority. But because it's not, it's like, mm, whether or not that happens doesn't matter because, you know, as long as there's ejaculate delivered, we can get to baby. And that is highly problematic because it is just reducing women time and again to their reproductive capacity, which we are 
so much more than that. Mm, yeah, so true. Okay, so we spoke about the health benefits of orgasms and then what actually then holds us back from actually being able to orgasm. So mm-hmm. it was all like, number one, okay, well, if you fake it, how the hell is your partner supposed to yeah. actually get you there? I think that that's going to be a big thing. Um, hormones, so let's talk about hormones of how mm-hmm. that can also be a something that can get in our way. Oh, yes. So whenever people, they're like, I have a low libido, I have difficulty orgasm, whatever the sexual dysfunction is, they jump right away to like, it must be my hormones. It can be your hormones, but it is often other things going on as well. Because once, I mean, so let's say like it starts with hormones. Let's say it starts with low estrogen. It can be um, estrogen issues because you're postpartum, because you're in menopause. Um, being on oral contraceptive pills can also mess with vaginal ecology as well and your ability to self-lubricate. And so low low estrogen is going to be problematic because it can lead to tissue atrophy, difficulty self-lubricating. The tissue can become more sensitive, more friable. So if it's extreme, you can go to the bathroom, you can wipe, and then you're going to find that there's blood on the tissue. Like that's how extreme that it can get. And without estrogen, we can't produce the glycogen, the sugar that feeds the good organisms in the vagina. So now we're going to be predisposed to yeast infections, bacterial vaginosis, and then those are going to be problematic. So all of these hinder your sex life. And with shrinking tissue, of course, that's going to affect your ability to orgasm and you're going to need lubrication. But then we have all this shame about lubrication, right? Like, oh, you're not, you're not supposed to use that. You should be able to like self-lubricate, which is not always the case. I mean, depending on where you are in the cycle, if you are a week before your period, it's a dry time. You're going to have a harder time self-lubricating because of where your hormones are at. Your progesterone's up, your estrogen's taking a back seat to that, and that's completely normal. So you have that piece. Now, if you aren't, you know, you aren't using lubrication, the tissue is becoming inflamed, there's infections, um, which these are normal organisms that live there, but they become imbalanced. Now, when you have sex, there's an association with pain, you can have pain, discomfort. You're not having an orgasm. Now you're in your head about that, right? Mm. You don't want to have pain or you've had pain in the past. So you have a fear. Now you're trying to have pleasure, but there's a fear around the pleasure. And so that's just one example of one hormone and how it can affect you. But I think where everybody usually goes in their mind is testosterone. Is that where you went? Oh, and I wasn't sure, to be honest, because my thing went to hormones. Like, oh, okay, you just don't feel in the Your chemicals aren't yeah. pumping. That's kind of how I, mm-hmm. like, blanketed it in my head. Um, but then now, to your point of, well, if even if your hormones, are, you're not being self-lubricated as much, mm-hmm. it's the mental thing that really freaking screws you. Because yeah. the second you get in your own head about, oh, my God, I'm not as wet, mm-hmm. now my husband doesn't think I'm turned on by him, yeah. right? Because now... He, I worry, he may not worry, but I worry. He's interpreting this as I'm not into him. Mm -hmm. And now my mind goes into the whole thing. And so that was why I thought then I wouldn't be able to orgasm. Because of the the way the hormone would impact my mind. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the testosterone versus the estrogen. Well, and testosterone and estrogen, they really are like the go um, on the sex sex pedals. They're like, let's go. Mm. Progesterone is like we're good because progesterone rises after ovulation. So progesterone is basically like you had your chance to go collect some, some semen and get pregnant. We did the egg thing. We're done here. And that is where the phase of your cycle where you're like, you know what? I, I'm really rather get into sweatpants than get into their pants. Like I am good right now. And that's the progesterone. And so testosterone people, I mean, I will sometimes get men who write me and they're like, you need to fix my woman's testosterone because she's not in the mood. And I'm like, you, um, you probably need to tend to, to your home life. And it's, it's more than just testosterone, but 
low testosterone is associated with low sexual desire. Um, you can have difficulty orgasming and it can be involved in the arousal process as well. But we, it's something that I do see low testosterone in women, but it's more common postmenopausal in really high times of stress. It's not usually the main thing that's going on in terms of like what I commonly see. And people are always surprised by that. Um, the birth control pill can definitely tank testosterone. That can be a reason why you have low sexual desire, which is ironic because you're on the pill so that you can have sex and that is getting rid of that inhibition, which is the fear of having a baby if you don't want one. But then the way it changes your hormones can make it so that you're not in the mood. And you're like, I have yeast infections and my vagina is not self-lubricating and I have no testosterone. So like, I'm not into this. Mm. But with testosterone, for people who are curious about it, um, you know, it's always beyond the low libido. So You'll have lack of motivation. You'll cry really easily. Um, that kick ass feeling, you won't have that anymore. That like ability to set boundaries, kick ass, like have a great day. Your energy is going to be lower. You're going to be more fatigued. You're going to see that you have muscle mass wasting. So you'll have less muscle mass. It'll be harder to change your body composition. So you'll have a propensity towards more fat cells and less muscle cells like in the body. That's how things will shift. And so. It's not usually just a low testosterone mm. goes low libido and no other symptoms. You're going to have other symptoms with that as well. Um, but you're absolutely right in terms of like the hormones do affect brain chemistry. They absolutely do influence um, as we see throughout the menstrual cycle. So for example, when testosterone and estrogen are up, you are going to be more likely to fantasize. So you're going to be running fantasies in your mind. Um, you're more likely to be in like the grocery store checkout line, see a magazine and your brain to register sex, your brain to be like, hmm, yes, that fellow looks good or she's looking good. Like, and your brain is going to interpret like that's sex. Like I'm, I'm into this. And so, um, the hormones do absolutely play a role, but I think it's very short-sighted for us to only mm. be talking about hormones. I say that as a hormone doctor mm. in that it's just women are much more complex than that. And. While uh, I do think the hormones should be evaluated, I think there's a holistic approach in this conversation that often gets missed by a lot of practitioners. So what would you say are the holistic things that we need to, or we can be doing in these situations? Mm, I will tell you as a hormone doctor who is in a relationship, who's been married for over a decade, um, working on your hormones is easier than working on your relationship. And so oh, I think that's, wow, that's a bold statement. <laughs> it is very true. I mean, it's so much easier to be like, I'm going to shift my diet. I'm going to get better sleep, like do these things because it's only you. You just have to be accountable yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. And I see this all the time with patients where they're like, let's just fix my hormones. I'm like, but maybe you need to talk about your relationship. And they're like, oh, like that. I mean, it can definitely be work. It is definitely something that can be um, intense because now we have a dynamic and we have to unpack our stuff and they have to unpack their stuff. And then you're putting it on the table together. And now you've got to sort through it. Mm -hmm. And like, and then how, how is your parents? Like, how is their relationship? Like how have your past relationship? Like it just becomes so complex and there's so much to it. And so working on relationships that can't be understated and working on your communication as well. If you can't talk to someone outside the bedroom about sex, how can you talk to them in the bedroom about sex, about what you want and how to get that pleasure? So there's that component. I think we also need to be looking at things like chronic conditions. So 
I think it's uh, I think it's something that is widely dismissed in women. Um, are, it's autoimmune disease and any kind of chronic health mm. issue where they struggle for years, exhausted, pushing through. Like I, you know, we have similar stories in that way of like really struggling with autoimmunity being dismissed. And that is something that if your body's in survival mode for any reason, even if it's just because you have a stressful job. You're not going to want to be in the mood. You're going to have a harder time having pleasurable sex because your hormones are shifting for survival. So your cortisol is now coming up. You're, you're, you're shifting like, you know, chill out progesterone, which I said can like block you in the bedroom. But yet if you don't have enough of it, you're more critical of your partner. You're more stressed out. You can't get good sleep at night. And so it's taking a look at like you as a whole person the environment that you live in, your health practices, and what is your what is your relationship like? And so we have to look at all of those layers to really understand, you know, do you have a dynamic that is maybe impeding you in the bedroom? Or is that fine? And like what we're dealing with is inflammation, which is taking your testosterone and turning it into estrogen. And now you're feeling cranky and swollen and bloated. And that's not a sexy feeling. That's like not a good feeling at all. And so we really have to dissect that out and understand what is the root cause for you? What's true for you? while also teaching the components of what we started at the top with of like spontaneous and responsive desire, understanding your gas pedals and your brakes, like understanding these things because sometimes people think they're not normal when in reality they're totally normal. It just doesn't look like it does on TV. Mm. Oh my God, that was so good, girl. So like, you know, in your book, you break down like you just did, but you've got, you know, the age, the hormones, the stress, the Mm -hmm. inflammation and going back to what you were just saying, my gut issues were going on for years. Yeah. And so you want to talk about I wasn't in the mood, yeah. but I, it really impacted my um, connection with my husband. Mm-hmm. And so because I've built my relationship on pure honesty, that was a very hard conversation to have. But to your yeah. point of the communication where I sat down with him and was like, look, it's painful for me. Mm-hmm. And he was, and of course, my husband's such a gentleman. He was just like, I would like, no, yeah. we're not doing anything. Like, babe, we need to make sure that your health is okay. And I was like, but I need, I, we may not be able to have intercourse right yeah. now, but I need that connection with you. And he's always so generous. He's just like, yeah, but it can't, it shouldn't just be one way. Cause mm-hmm. like, he never felt good about it just being his pleasure. Yeah. It was always, a, you know, for both. Yeah. And I said, I understand, but actually right now, because I don't know if I can, orgasm I don't know if I use those words but I Mm. don't if I can get to that but I still need to feel that connection I still want to be intimate with you and now what does this intimacy look like in a different way Mm -hmm. um where maybe I can pleasure him and things like that but to your point of my gut was inflamed and then I was very stressed out and I was just tired all the time and you know um we then feel shame around that. Yeah. Like I'm unable to please my partner. Absolutely. And what's important in what you shared is so many people's definition of sex is a penis goes in the vagina. Mm. Like there has to be penetration. And that's why I wrote a whole chapter on sex of all kinds, because there's all kinds of ways to be intimate. I have patients who have uh, significant endometriosis. Um, they cannot have penetration. It is very painful for them that they can engage in oral sex or outer mm-hmm. course. I mean, things that sometimes people think are like, that's some high school juvenile stuff. That's incredibly pleasurable for some people. And so there's lots of ways to connect. And if you look at the research, when people report sexual satisfaction, orgasm is actually lower. It's not one of the top things. Um, feeling empathy, feeling connected to somebody, um, actually feeling that intimacy, 
that's what makes for a pleasurable session, no matter what you're mm-hmm. doing. And so I think, you know, we talk a lot about the orgasm and everybody wants to try to get an orgasm. And it is, I think, something that is important to have conversations about. But I think it's important for people to understand that lots of people have very satisfying sessions sexual experiences and never have an orgasm in that session and they still rate it very high but it's because of the connection so what you're talking about there of like the radical honesty i mean it really is radical in like our society right to be that honest you know that kind of connection um being intimate with someone just wanting to feel close to them like doing it for those reasons results in much more satisfaction than somebody going in and just being like we're just going to get this done so that we can get to orgasm and like be done with it. Mm. People report less satisfaction in those mm. sessions. And um, I think women need around 14 minutes of yeah. foreplay and men only need like five. Yeah. yeah. Men don't. Sometimes, I was like, wow, even five's high. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes you're just like bending down in the, sh- in the freezer, like getting something out and they're like, let's go. Let's go right now. Right. Because again, the brain is like hey, sex, sex, yeah, sex, yeah. surveying that. Um, and some women are like that too. Um, and then they get told that like, oh, you're too much like a man. And I'm like, you're all good. Mm. We're all good. Like whatever is working for you. But for women, yeah, I tell my patients, like, give it 20 minutes to warm up. Give it 20 minutes to warm up. And, you know, as we were talking about lubrication before, um, there's a phenomenon known as arousal non-concordance. And so in the research, they're like, why is it that like, like some women, it's like their brain is like showing they're turned on, but like their genitals are not turned on. Mm. Like what's going on? Mm. The brain is what gives consent and the brain is the one to listen to. If you say yes and the genitals look like they're saying no because they're not getting the memo. The brain's like, we're really into this. And the genitals are like, huh? What? What's going on? And so they're not getting as, uh, uh, you know, as engorged. We're not seeing um, as much lubrication. Like, that's happening. Nothing's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Again, a case for lube. So nothing's wrong with you in that situation. And yet the brain sometimes surveys things. So um, I've had on my social media, Ask Dr. Brayton, a question that came up a lot, um, which I found really interesting is women saying, I don't know what to make of it. I'll be scrolling through my feed on social media and I'll see someone doing a suggestive dance or doing something and I feel aroused. Like my my genitals feel aroused. They don't say genitals. They're usually like my clitoris, like I feel my clitoris or like my vulva like feels juicy, like, you know, using that kind of language. And they're like, and sometimes it's someone of the other gender. Like, am I bisexual? Am I actually gay? Like what is actually going on here? And I'm like, that is just your brain being like, oh, sex. And the genitals are like, sex, you said sex. Okay. And then you're self-lubricating. Like you feel this stirring in your nether region, Mm -hmm. so to speak. That is, that is something as well that if the brain, if you're like, wait, I'm not into this, you're not into this. That's a no. It doesn't mean that you're switching genders. It doesn't mean you're suddenly attracted to that person. It doesn't mean you want to cheat on your partner or anything like that. The brain just said, hey, this is sex. The genitals were like, yes, sex, love it, here for it. And then you caught yourself and said, "Mm -mm, I'm not actually into this. The brain is in control there. So if you give consent, but the genitals aren't following, it's still consent. If you say no, and the genitals are doing something else, they're just like, I'm already on this train, friend. Like We're just going that way. But your brain says no, that's not consent. Wow. I love that you broke that down. And I assume men are not the same. Um, so here's the thing, men can, so this is like, there's so many jokes and we, the, get the arousal non-concordance gets talked about a lot more. So like, right. We have, um, oh, I'm really into her, but I can't get erect. And it's not necessarily erectile dysfunction. There can be other reasons for that. That's an arousal non-concordance. There are times where, um, you know, 
especially like uh, as someone who has a young boy, I'm like, these moments are going to come where they're at the din- dining room table and the brain picked up something as mm-hmm. sex and they don't even know why. And now they have an erection, but they're not, it, they're not turned on. Like they're not into this. And so it can definitely happen with men as well. Um, but you know, a lot of times if men are in the mood and they're like, I want to have sex, then their penis is erect and then they're able to have sex. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think, um, with us, it, things are a lot more complicated. I love that you broke that down because as you were talking, I'm like, I'm just going to be honest. Like, this is just weird for me to say out loud because I'm a little sh- I was brought up when you never talk about sex. Yeah, yeah. So even this discussion, I freaking love, but there's still a part of me is a little embarrassed. But I'm just going to say, like, you're 100% right. I can't remember what I was watching. It was like some show and they had gay sex. And I was like, why am I turned on? Yeah, yeah. But it was like, it's not that I want to be a part of man on man sex. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, but. So I was very confused. Yeah. And so I turned to my husband. He's like, no, I'm not turned on. And he ha- didn't have, he wasn't hard. Yeah. So I'm like, this is very confusing for me yeah, because yeah. I'm not injured. But it didn't seem That's like. That's really common, by the way. Mm. It's super common. And most people don't say it out loud. No. But um, the homosexual sex, there's a lot of women who will watch that pornography. They are very turned on to, um, to it. Uh, part of that can be because it feels like a safer situation as a woman than watching. Like, because when it is heterosexual sex, that is, again, very male-centered and the way that, you know, sometimes things are being done. A woman is like, I'm not, I, there's a lot that's being done sometimes in pornography that women are like, that's not actually something I'm into. It's like why we have to have these conversations because if men are learning their moves from porn, they're not really learning moves. Like they're learning things mm-hmm. that like stimulate their brain and give them the stimulation they need. Um, but as a woman watching that, it's just like, yeah, I don't, that looks like that hurts. Like, you don't. I don't really want to do that. Or like, why are they doing that? And so that's why some researchers believe women are more inclined to watch gay uh, pornography. And so watching men, sometimes they'll watch women as well, but men seem to be like a really safe one. Wow, that's, I never dawned on me that was the reason. Um, and then it can somewhat, though, be, I mean, I've said this a couple of times in this interview, it can be somewhat confusing for a guy. Yeah. Where, because to us, based on exactly what you just said, there's a massive difference between the fantasy and the reality. Mm-hmm. The fantasy, I'm like, you just want to keep it as a fantasy. You don't yes, actually want it. Yeah. But I, so I don't know, do guys do that? But also it is confusing for guys because my husband was like, but you just said that was a fantasy. And I'm like, but babe, I don't actually want don't it. Don't actually want it. Yeah. No. Uh, so lots of people have fantasies about threesomes. They'll even fantasize about it like while they're having sex with their partner that they never want to have a threesome. They just like the idea of it. And so fantasies, sometimes people, they keep their fantasies private. Um, sometimes they want to share it with their partner and sometimes they do want to act them out. Maybe they have a fetish that they would like to try. All of that is normal. And, you know, when it comes to keeping your fantasies to yourself, sometimes that is what you need to make it hot, to make it Mm. something that you're into. And so, um, I've had women ask me, like, if I'm thinking about someone else, like while I'm having sex with my partner, does that mean I'm cheating? It's not cheating. It's not cheating if you're fantasizing about somebody else being present, somebody else being engaged with you. But the thing I caution people is that if you are only thinking about someone else the Mm -hmm. entire time while you have sex with this person, then you really have to ask, are you using this person as a means to an end just to have sex? Or are you actually wanting to have that intimacy and that connection? Because that's not fair. That's not fair for you to be like, I just want to engage this body while I go somewhere else with my mind. But 
It is not uncommon for women to have all kinds of different fantasies running in their mind um, and especially helping them get to orgasm. And sometimes you need that because the distractions of like, oh, there's a noise in the house or Mm -hmm. I have children in the house or you know, maybe somebody like might um, hear us at a hotel or, you know, those kinds of fears. Sometimes you have to go into fantasy land to be like, I need to like escape that. And that actually helps you get present with what's happening in the situation, which seems odd to be like, I have to go into fantasy to be present in my mm. body, but it's so that you're not constantly hit by all these distractions. Oh my God, that's really powerful Um, because I never really thought about it like that. And you kind of, when, when you don't have an expert like you to talk to, right? Like you get in your own head about what does this mean? Does, you know, but I'm turned on, but I'm thinking yeah. about someone. Like it, it's very confusing for women. And then mm-hmm. again, the second you get in your own head, it's like, are you able to be present to then yeah. actually enjoy that moment? Once you get in your head, it's like so hard to come oh, back, dude, right? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, and you said it earlier. Um, and maybe this is just like the very straightforward question. So if a guy is listening right now, how the hell do you make a woman come? Ah, you ask her. <laughs> so that's like number one. But um, so based on the research there, we have very little studies in women's medicine and then very little studies into women's sexual health. Um, but we do have some research and every woman um, who owns a vulva um, will understand this, that rhythmic motion. So first touching the clitoris in a rhythmic motion, motion slow and low is the tempo. Like we want to keep it. I just quoted the Beastie Boys right now, but (laughs) slow and low is the tempo. So so you want to start with, you know, like not, not like super light pressure. We're not trying to tickle, but we don't want to go super firm. So it's going to be slowly moving like your hand towards the clitoris and then low and slow movement. Um, and you want to be rhythmic. And so most women prefer either circular or back and forth. Um, you can use one finger, but most women prefer two or even um, all your fingers or the palm of your hand. Um, you can retract the clitoral hood. You can ask her to retract the clitoral hood. But as you're doing this, asking is this good? Do you like this? Do you want more of this? Mm -hmm. And I think the hard part is that as you get excited as the, as the person stimulating the clitoris, not to then speed things up or start changing things up. And I think that's, um, you know, sometimes when men are about to climax, they speed things up and they go faster. And so like the, they're like, this is my experience. So maybe this is what's good for you as well when that's not always the case. And so communicating. So that's manual stimulation. Mm -hmm. But I hear from people that are like, but I want, to make her come while we're having sex. Like I want to have, like I want to achieve that vaginal orgasm that Freud talked about. And so, (laughs) (laughs) so with that, there is research to show that if she orgasms before penetration, she is more likely to have an orgasm during penetrative sex. And while most men in, you know, understand that to be true is that they have a, they have a very long refractory period. So that means once they orgasm, they're not able to just go round two right away. And so they'll think like, oh, that must be the same for her. Like once she orgasms, it's going to be harder to get her there. Not true. We have a shorter refractory period. Again, the clitoris is always giving and mama nature knew what she was doing. And so you can stimulate her. She can orgasm. Then you can go into penetration. She is more likely to orgasm. She may even have multiple orgasms. And while you're penetrating, you still want to stimulate the clitoris. So you can try different positions. She can do it herself. You can do it yourself. You can put a pillow under her hips in missionary so that things are more exposed. Or you can bring toys in. And this is where men will say like, oh, I don't want to have to compete with a toy. 
it is not a competition. I'm like, you're Batman, and that is literally your utility belt. Like, you just pull out from <laughs> the utility belt. Like, what is it going to be? Cock ring, vibrator. Like, what do you want? Like, what works for you? And so you should be seeing it as an ally. It's not competing with you in any way. And it is going to make things more pleasurable. And in fact, like, with some men, I'm like, well, have you ever, like, tried having any vibration present? No, no. I'm like, it works for you too. Like it is, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. going to help you too. So, um, those are just some of the things that you can do. But like the number one is you just have to be asking, do you like this? Are you into this? Because even though I'm like, this is what like in general most people like, she may be into something different. That's amazing. I love how you broke that down. And then as you're talking, it's like we, we all make it about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Right? right. So it's like if the guy is able to get her to orgasm, he feels good. If he's able to get her to multiple orgasm, he feels great. If he's mm-hmm. able to get her to multiple orgasm and squirting, he feels like a freaking yeah, stud. Right? right. And so it's almost like it's you got me here. Yeah. And then vice versa for women. Like there is, I remember where it was like, oh, you can't get hard. Oh my God, what have I done? Yes, oh my right? God, I must be bad. Oh my God, I can't turn you on. Yeah. It is me. I'm the one. And now thinking about the guy, like I'm always trying to see it from both sides of it. Yeah. Like even though we've been, you know, had our own rough time of it, I do think of it like, well then that's actually, I feel bad for the guy as well. Yeah. Because now you're making it about yourself. And then as a woman, you're like, am I not sexy enough? Am I not yeah. turning you on off? And then the guys think probably thinking, no, it has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. And now everyone gets in their own head and now you're not having this beautiful yeah. like moment that could really have like be beautiful. Um, how do we not make it about ourselves and like help that other person get there? And I know you yeah. can probably say communication. Well, but- I think you also have to, you know, practice throughout the day checking yourself when you start to make things. So we're on social media, right? And somebody leaves us a comment oh my God, like this is about me. Like how is this, like they think this, you know what? People saying nasty things on social media, it's about them. Mm. Like what kind of person goes onto someone else's page and leaves them hateful stuff? Not a well person, not a well person. But we make those kinds of things about ourselves. So stopping that there. Thinking about all the ways that like you already do that in your day to day, you're gonna build that neuronal pathway. So that when you get into that situation, you will have the breaks to be like, wait, Maybe it's not about me. Mm. It's very, very hard. It is a very, I think, as women, we are challenged with almost an impossible task, which is loving ourselves and being confident in our bodies, being confident in our relationships while we are inundated from messages in our society that constantly tell us that we're not good enough, that we are the problem. I mean, even... I mean, we look at marketing from like the 1950s that was like, you, if you want to keep a man, you need to douche. Like literally saying stuff like that. Like, oh, he'll leave the house if it smells down there. And I'm just like, I can tell you're a man writing this. I already know. <laughs> like you're really telling on yourself how little you understand about the female body. Yet that kind of undercurrent of marketing, like that is pervasive, right? I mean, we think about things that are like, oh, you know, this is going to be like the age defying because heaven forbid you live long enough that you get old. Like, what is that? But it's the same way when it comes to sexual health. And, you know, in the book, I talked about um, the, you know, the different things that we see. So like, um, my so-called life, vampire diaries, like, but for real, like, how are vampires getting erections and getting wet? I just don't understand. I don't understand this. Um, but we see, like, all of these TV shows and we see all these things where there's no talk of consent. There's no condom, right? It is just, I, I see you, you see me, like, we're making out. Ooh, now we're having hot sex. Oh, she orgasmed immediately. And, like, everything 
is perfect. Mm. And so we've got all and of that. And orgasm vag- uh, vaginally. Yes. Not at all. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. It's always like, oh, against the wall in like some, like all of these positions. And I'm like, but yeah, I think that's probably going to get in some people's heads about like, wow, okay, like I should be having this wild, adventurous sex. And so it's a challenge and mm-hmm. we have to acknowledge that it's a challenge. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing is just to build the awareness and awareness and open communication in your relationship. And if you find that there's anything that seems like, oh, this is like, this is not going according to plan, change the plan. So that's why I'm like, here's all of these options of sexual experiences that people have. Like, there are a lot of ways that people find pleasure. They can get off. Like there's many ways to, to hit the O. Um, and there's many ways to just feel connected to your partner. And so even if things, I think that again, it becomes this like, we have to have vaginal penetration for it to be successful. Even the word foreplay, it said like that word itself indicates that there is something more. You might orgasm with foreplay. You might both be satisfied with foreplay, but because it's called foreplay, the thought is, no, this can't be enough. Like, we have to get to the end. We have to arrive at vaginal penetration, which mm. is, like, not true. Yeah, it's so true. The, the blessing and the curse of porn, like, I think porn's getting a really bad rap right oh, now. Oh, yes, we can talk about that. Yeah, please, let's do it. Because I think that, like anything, it can be great, it can be detrimental. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about where we're potentially setting up women and men for failure, it's there's definitely porn messaging out there yeah. that you can just wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, and you're good to go, you know, you're yeah. fine. Um, but then also there is that part of like porn can be pleasurable and mm-hmm. porn can be part of the experience. What if you have different opinions of porn in your relationship? Yeah, well, gosh, I mean, as much as shame and stigma there is on sex, there's tons on mm. porn. Even the fact that we're talking about this right now, there's already going to be people heated in the comments because... People feel very passionately. Well, and they usually feel very passionately. They're very much against it. Why and, is that? Well, it's so the equivalent of men feeling they're in competition with a vibrator is how a lot of women feel about porn. They're in competition with that. And there is messaging from other men who are like, porn ruins you in the way that like it will lower your testosterone. It makes it so that you're not self-disciplined. Like all of these, just like why they also are like, you shouldn't masturbate. It'll ruin your hormones. And I'm like, that's false. It's good for your hormones. Men should masturbate or be having ejaculation happening like a dozen times a month for their prostate health. Like we know this, like retention is not the way friends. Um, so with that, I think people, there's a lot of um, religious connotation. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of misunderstanding about porn, of why people view porn. There's a lot of money made in the porn addiction industry. Mm-hmm. So there's actually, there's no no uh, real diagnosis for sex addiction. And yet um, sex addiction, porn addiction, masturbation addiction, there are very, uh, very much many people with that messaging of pushing that out there, making a lot of money off of doing that. And so we've got that messaging mm. as well. Mm. And then of course, there is unethical porn. There is there mm. is porn that nobody should be consuming. It should be shut down and it should not ever exist. Um, absolutely those exist. But at the same time, there is ethical porn. There are companies that are being run by women who are paying women fair wages that are making sure that women are protected. And it's really amazing. And I would say that, you know, growing up, I definitely got the message of like, porn is bad. Like I did not have a sex positive family. I had a don't talk about sex. Mm. And if you do, we're going to shame you about it kind of family. Um, and so I got that message as well. When I was practicing in Oakland, California, 
I had a lot of patients come from the porn industry and I had no idea until I like got into conversations with them and they were all talking about how much they love their jobs, how much they were like families, how it was like so satisfying. And, um, it was really interesting to have conversations with people who were part of the industry and loved it so much. And, um, to really see that like these things that people say about porn, the people who are working like in the production, I mean, women working in the production, women who are actually like the stars, um, all really enjoying their job, all really loving what they do. And so I think, you know, if you look at other societies where they have better sex education, so we just look at like Amsterdam, better sex education, access to sex workers, um, these things are an important part of society and people hate that in the US. They mm. hate thinking that sex workers have a place in people's health, but people need that connection. People need pleasure. And sometimes that's the only way that they're satisfying things. I think the problem comes is when we're lying about things, we're in a partnership, we're not being honest, like those kinds of things are the problem. Mm. Um, and hiding porn from your partner, I think is also problematic. And that will really seed even further where people are like, porn is problematic. Why would you, why would you hide it otherwise? And it's like, shame. Shame is why people hide these things, but you're right. So in, in a partnership, you have to just have this conversation. Um, porn has to be consensual. You have to agree on the type of pornography you're going to watch. And there has to be an understanding that if any one person says, turn it off, you turn it off. Mm. And there, and in anything you do, consent can always be revoked. And if you violate that, that person says, turn it off. And you say, oh, just give it a few more minutes. Like you just burnt the bridge. You just burnt the bridge. It's done. This person, you have violated their trust in that because they need to be able to feel safe in this. Mm. And so your partner might be like, I can try this for two minutes. And like, then, then we're good. I actually have, um, in our house, we have a rule about movies and TV shows. Like if we're going to start something, we're iffy about it. We're like five minute rule. Five minute rule. And we'll give it five minutes. And after five minutes, we'll check in. And so that's just movies and TV. You can also do that with porn. Five minute rule. Okay. After five minutes, we're going to check in. Do we want to, is this working for us? Do we want to proceed? And how much do you think that all of this needs to be discussed either before sex is in, before you actually have the act or before yeah. you actually start having a sexual experience with another person? Mm. So I think so things are going to evolve. So as you start a relationship, you might not even know that you're like, oh, I might want to watch porn or mm, right. I'm really into sucking toes or like any of these. Mm. You might not know that about yourself. And being in this relationship with this person is revealing those things. So as the re relationship progresses, now you know you're into this thing. Now you want to have the conversation. You want to ideally have that outside the bedroom because this is something where, I mean, there can be trauma. There can be a lot of issues that come up. And if you make for a negative experience, it's going to be harder to come back. That's, again, right? Hormones are easier than, than <laughs> relationships coming back from that's going to be so much harder than, um, than talking about it beforehand. So the ideal is before you're in the moment. But sometimes things come up in the moment when that's when your brain is like, we would really like this. We should do this. And that's where you ask, like, I would really be into this. Like, do you want to try that? Or, hey, can I do this with you? Um, you know, things that get labeled as kink is they're actually really common. They sh like, it's funny that we think like, this is that like seedy kink stuff. So like spanking is part of kink. It's really common, really common in relationships for people to enjoy spanking. So I use that as an example of like, you might be in the moment, you're in a position and you're like, I really want to spank this person. 
you need to ask first. You don't want to just spank someone and you want to start gentle. Again, slow and low, like keep it gentle. Um, and then you can, you can ask like, you know, would you like it harder? Like, you know, do you like that? Can I, you know, do you like it when I grab you? Like, you know, these kinds of things like that. You're, you're getting the consent and then you're getting the feedback in real time because you may get excited and think like, oh, this is a really, you know, great thing and I'm really into it and they're into it. But if you're not asking, where they're not giving you the cues and the feedback that is saying, like, I am into this, like, you're going to run into a problem. And now nobody's satisfied, everybody's stopping, and the fun's done. Yeah. What's happened in your body chemically when that happens? So because I'm thinking through, like, in that moment, right, it's really heated. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, my God, this is great. And then the next day, you're like, oh, actually, it, my my hormones led me astray. And actually, it was my body wanting, but my mind now regrets it. Oh, yeah. That's super common. You know, I actually heard uh, Brene Brown say the vulnerability hangover. Mm. And I was like, that's exactly what happens after sex. Like, she's talking about, oh, you know, talking about intimate things and being vulnerable. And yet during sex, you're so vulnerable. And then you do think, right? You do things and you're like, oh my God, I loved that. That was so great. And then the next day you're like, what does that say about me? And what do they think? And like, maybe I shouldn't have done that. And maybe that's a bad thing. And like, oh God, did I hurt my body in a way that I'll never come back from? Like we start to spiral in that way. It can definitely happen. But I think part of it too is that like, when it's just like what people will call vanilla sex, right? Missionary, cis hetero sex, like, that is something that we are told is acceptable, is safe, like is normal. When you deviate outside of that, there is the risk that afterwards you're going to think like, oh gosh, I really wish, I really wish I hadn't done that. Now you may very well be like, I wish I hadn't done that because I actually didn't enjoy it. I actually didn't want it. And that's a different thing. Of course. But I think that, you know, that, that vulnerability hangover, that after the fact, like I don't have like all this dopamine and all these hormones floating around in my brain anymore, not feeling that anymore. And now afterwards I'm end to remember that you are being a historian and going back and looking at the event now from the outside mm. and judging it from the outside rather than the experience in the moment. Like you, you were consenting to these things. You were in the moment. It was good for you in the moment. But now historian you puts on your little spectacles and is like, mm, no, you're a bad person for doing that. Because all of your belief system comes flooding back in. Yeah. Um, And everyone else's ideas about who you should be comes into play. Right. Yeah. Um, What's happening when it's like you like the riskiness of it? And like, so my husband is actually a little conservative. I'm the one that's like, oh, babe, like there's a beach. There's no one on the right. And and it's interesting because growing up, I never perceived that as being the the right, quote unquote, dynamic. I always thought it's the guy that's adventurous, right? And then the woman's like, well, I'm not sure. And then I met my husband and he kind of, not laughed in a bad way but he was like wow you're really freaking kinky and I'm just like yeah and you're not like and I it was surprising (laughs) to me that my husband again just being from um, a very traditional background Mm -hmm. I was brought up to think a certain way and so I actually thought oh my god is it normal that I'm the one in the relationship that wants the kinkiness yeah no, it is totally normal. And it's those, those exciting things too. So that is, um, that it, like, why do people ride roller coasters, right? It's terrifying. Your brain's getting all jostled around. Like you feel like you're going to die. And yet here's this cue. Like, like, you know, you're waiting for like two hours just to get on and experience that, like, you know, two minutes of, of just terror, right? <laughs> It's the same thing. Like, it's exciting. Like, it's something new. And in relationships, especially relationships that go for a longer period of time, spicing things up, changing things up, finding ways to make um, things exciting, that's actually healthy. 
It's a healthy thing to do. And um, you're a lot of women. There's a lot of women who also get called kinky and things like that. Like they're not supposed to be that way, but it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter what your gender is. Whatever you like and you're into and is happening consensually, that's normal. Mm, yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel good about myself now. Yeah. Um, and then I'd be remiss to not talk about the whiskey vagina, I think you call it. <laughs> I thought it was so fun if you don't mind talking to me about that. Yeah. Because, um, a, the, I want actually guys to hear this because I'd heard it very much about guys that yeah. when they drink, they have, it's more common they're going to have erectile dysfunction. Yes, yes. Um, but the whiskey vagina, talk yeah. to me about that, girl. No, totally, right? Because the term is like whiskey dick that they'll say. Like you drink too much and now you cannot, you cannot get an erection or you can't orgasm. It's difficult to, uh, difficult to orgasm. The same thing can happen to women. And this is where it gets problematic because a lot of times women go to their doctor or they say like, Oh, I'm having pain with sex. I'm not enjoying sex. Like there's problems. Their doctor's like, get some lube, have some, have some wine, have a few glasses of wine and you'll be fine. But actually when you're intoxicated, it can be more difficult to self lubricate, more difficult to become aroused. Like you're using a substance that is affecting your nervous system mm. and is depressing your nervous system. So everybody knows like your reaction time is down, right? This is why we don't drink and drive. Very, if you are drinking and driving, please do not do that actually. But this is why, you know, we say those things is because your reaction time's down. You have depressed the nervous system. Well, what's the clitoris? A bundle of about 10,000 nerves. So how is that going to respond to stimuli? when you've used a drug that now is basically like numbing things out. And so we can have issues with arousal tissue becoming engorged. We can have the lubrication issue, but it can be incredibly frustrating because you're like, I cannot orgasm. It's been like 40 minutes and I'm getting raw. Like what is happening? Even in a solo session, mm. it can be incredibly difficult to orgasm because you're intoxicated. Okay. And so I assume multiple org orgasms are going to be even harder to have. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so talk to me about actually m multiple orgasms and squirting. Mm -hmm. Because I just, I'm just going to assume, um, can I lose faith in myself? But it's very interesting to go, ooh, how can I figure out how to yeah, squirt? Yeah. Like, I was the person that started with, I, I'm the, I can't orgasm. I, I, it's just not me. Yeah. I'm, I'm one of those unfortunate people that totally. can't, right? That's where I started from. Then I met my husband. My life changed. Multiple orgasms out of, you know, yeah. whatever. And then the squirting part is like, okay, is this a type of person that can do it? Is it something that you can train just like going to the gym? Um, and then is it benefits to squirting? Yeah, there's no known benefits to squirting, so I'll just say that. Um, some people, I know, right? <laughs> um, but we haven't studied it much because even, you know, the jury's out of like, is it just urine or is it like, what is it? Mm. Um, there seems to be some, so there's some urea in the fluids, um, but it also has a sweet taste to it. So it appears to be coming from the skein's glands. So that's all to say, you're not just peeing. So people will be like, oh, you're just peeing. no. It's not just peeing because they've actually done imaging, finding that the bladder, um, someone empties their bladder, they have sex, they squirt, but then they're like, oh, but then there was fluid in the bladder when we imaged again. So it's all very confusing. Mm. Um, and really, like, I mean, so many people like to pathologize it or just make it like, oh, that's just a porn thing, which in porn, they will pee and they will... Um, they will like push and bear down to make that urine squirt. Mm. Do not recommend. You're going to destroy your pelvic floor and end up with urinary incontinence at some point in your life, but definitely as you age, if you keep up that practice. So not a good idea. So in theory, everyone should be able to squirt. Um, but it's not something that like anything's wrong with you if you don't squirt. Um, it sometimes takes certain positions. Sometimes there's toy stimulation happening. Um, sometimes women only experience it while they're pregnant. 
where there's all this pressure, all of this circulation down there. Sometimes women only experience it with anal sex, though it really just depends. Wow, with anal sex? Because it's pressing down? That's the thing that I'm like, huh, anatomy wise, like where you are, like, why does it work? Why does it work that way? Mm. Um, and it could be that there's clitoral stimulation that, um, you know, there's penetration in the anus. And then from that stimulation, the skeins get glands, they shoot off, so to speak. So I've always thought also about squirting about um, from women who are more promiscuous. Is that true? No, no, no. And that's something that like, I feel like there's always some myth going around about being more promiscuous uh, with women. Um, you know, whether it's like, you're going to have a loose vagina, you'll ruin yourself from marriage. Um, you're going to get more infections, like, and you can be at higher risk for STIs. And you, you definitely, I mean, the more partners you have, same is true for men though. Same is true for men. Mm. Speaking of actually being loose, I know that that's one thing that a lot of women... I haven't had children, so I don't really know. Um, mm-hmm. But I've heard that that's one thing that women are paranoid about. Yeah. And so my question is, just out of curiosity, uh, is it paranoia because they don't like the feeling or because they're worried they can't please their partner? Uh, it's the latter in most cases. Um, women are told all the time that like loose vagina is like the worst thing ever. Yeah, the vagina doesn't really work that way. I mean, it's essentially an accordion of tissue. Like it expands. Um, it passes a whole human and you will have more tissue because it expanded. There's a lot of people who report better sex, both partners, better sex after vaginal delivery. Um, part of that may be because you got so comfortable with your body. Part of that may be because there is more tissue there. Another part is because things actually spread. The clitoris is more exposed now. Um, there was a lot more uh, sensation. There was a lot more hormones flowing in the body. So there can be changes that are beneficial from that. But the, I think what's really problematic is that you see, I see all the time men on the internet being like, oh, you want it tight. A tight vagina is the best. And I always laugh because I'm like, you really have no idea what you're talking about. Like, <laughs> this is another, like, tell me you don't know the female body without telling me because a tight vagina is not a ready vagina. It is the equivalent of a flaccid penis. Like this is not somebody who is interested in anything that you have going on right now because things are being locked down. I think about like, you know, the movie mm. Alien and Sigourney Weaver's like running through like these like portholes, right? And it's like closing in. Like that is the vulva being like, oh my God, Alien. Like this is like, we do not want anyone foreign in here right now. And so that can actually be a sign then someone is not ready. Someone is afraid. And um, it sometimes can be a case of vaginismus. And so we don't want a tight vagina. When you become aroused, the vagina actually tense. So the um, tissue expands, the cervix will actually move back and it's all making, it's like, maybe there'll be penetration. We don't know, but we're ready. We're going to be ready either way. That is arousal. That is somebody who is into you. That is like, you've put in the work, like things are ready to go. If things are tight, mm -mm, that's not it. And that's, I would say, you know, on the same vein of, um, talking about childbirth, um, the husband stitch. I talk about this in the book. I think it mm. is, it is a very gross practice in medicine. There's still a lot of abuse of the female body, especially in obstetric violence, um, when it comes to what physicians do and the husband stitch, especially because it's often being done without consent. It's where they put an extra stitch. So if you tear or, <sighs> If they cut you, which really has no evidence, they shouldn't be doing that. But if you tear, because that does happen, and they stitch you up, sometimes they're like, oh, put an extra stitch at the top for your husband because it'll make sex better. And ultimately what it actually does is it causes pain with sex and nobody has sex. Now there's actually no sex. So tell me how you, like modifying, manipulating her vagina with a man only in mind, not her body in mind, doing it for her husband, 
has actually helped anyone. It hasn't. Now, he's not having sex. She hates sex. Like, it's very problematic. Mm. I know people getting, like, almost, like, plastic surgery yes. on this. Like, oh, yeah. God. Yeah, pl- yeah. This is the thing that I find really concerning is that um, clitoral anatomy isn't really taught in medical schools, and it's not like we just are figuring it all out. Mm. And yet, you have surgeons out there with a knife cutting up this area so that it looks good without any real thought to how does it feel, how does it function, and that is very problematic. I think in what medicine will do to women's bodies sometimes is it's more about the aesthetics. Is it aesthetically pleasing? Um, and rather than thinking about the function. Because mm. your vulva wasn't made to be stared at. Like, your body isn't made to be looked at. Your body has all of these amazing functions that it performs. And yet, everything always comes back to, like, how does your body look? How does your body look? I mean, this is something after I had my second child. Um, and I had, like, uh, you know, I was 40. So very different collagen, very different everything going on. But I had a much larger postpartum belly afterwards. And I took photos and I just shared it online. And I'm like, I just, your body isn't made to be looked at. It's not. Your body, like, look what my body accomplished. And then when you think about sex as well, are you having pleasurable sex? Are you enjoying it? then who cares what it looks like down there mm-hmm. if you're enjoying it? And that is where I think um, we're doing a really big, big disservice. The funny thing is, so here's where I ended up on some CD websites and stuff. Uh, so I actually like made a trip to Pornhub because when you look at why physicians say labiaplasty is happening, so that's actually um, taking away of the tissue of the labia, what people call the lips, mostly to get rid of the inner labia um, so that it's tucked in all nice oh, and neat. God. I know, right? I, I like can't help but like Kegel every time I talk about it. Like my little vulva's like, oh no, oh no, like. <laughs> It's terrifying to think about. Um, and there are some women, they do get it done because they are struggling with body image or they are having discomfort because there is such hypertrophy. So I don't want to shame or dismiss anybody who's getting it done for those reasons and it has improved their life. But what's problematic is that women are being told like, oh, like your vagina doesn't look, or your vulva doesn't look right. So we're talking about the outer tissue. Your vulva doesn't look right. Therefore, you need to have this surgery. Doctors are looking to porn and saying, this is because of porn. We blame porn for this. So I was like, well, I want to know. What do we have like trimmed up labia going on in porn? No, we do not. I had saw, I had saw so much variety of vulvas and I found on Pornhub, they like voted like, you know, top vulvas. Um, they didn't use the anatomically correct terms, but we're, we're doing that here. And with that, there was the, like the top voted were, was what people call the Audi vagina, which is where the labia minora is actually on the outside. And they voted, everything was like so much variety. And then I went and I got my Netter's anatomy textbook and I opened it up and I was like, it's us. We're the problem. Mm. Here is a pink uniform and hovelar vulva that is only an innie. And this is all we're showing in medicine. You go to Medscape, you go to like these websites, these physician, you know, based websites. And it is the white archetype of like uniform and color and everything neat and tucked away and, and uniform and symmetrical. And I'm like, it's us. We're the, it's not porn. Porn is like, give me all the variety, which was also to say that if you're a woman and you're concerned, like my male partner, you know, is going to look at it and think, um, it turns out they're really into it. They're really into the variety Mm -hmm. down there. Um, that is what, that is what, you know, per the porn surveys that men are craving. So that is just, that to me was like such a light bulb moment of like, 
medicine is the one that only shows like this uniform, perfect vulva. Like that is who mm. is showing all of that. And when you look at pornography, it is is real bodies. Like, and yes, there is augmentation. There is labiaplasty. There are breast implants. Like all of that happens. But then there is also like all of these very real bodies where men are actually like, I want to see a postpartum body. Like I want to see like these different changes, which is what does outside of that sphere, we are told something completely different, right? Like it's like there's this like there's the truth that lies underneath the aesthetic of it all. What's interesting though, as you were talking, I was like, but actually I think they do a disservice to guys because at least in the porn that I've seen, it's always like they're always huge. <laughs> yeah. And it's like I've heard you even talk about the, the Goldilocks penis yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, right? And I was like it's funny because porn may help women if you just watch it and go, look, we're ladies. Like, there's all types. Like, yeah, yeah. men like all this. But with the guys, I've never seen a guy that's, like, got a small penis. Yeah. It's always a gigantic I know. Horse. Now I'm like, I have to go research that. Um, <laughs> but isn't it true? Yeah. I mean, it is, like, uh, you think about, like, the movie Boogie Nights. Like, the yes, whole reason they wanted yes. Mark Wahlberg. Um, oh, yeah. Not because he was just Mark Wahlberg and he's beautiful. Um, but because, like, you know, he had a long Johnson. Like, there was all this talk around that. Um, it's so funny, though, when you talk to women... Women are terrified of large penises. Um, and my friend who's a urologist, we were in a conversation and I was talking about how like whenever people ask me if size matters, I'm like, it does. Because if it's too big, hmm. it's scary or like you have to make accommodations and like it's it's not the, you know, people are like, oh, if they have a micro penis, it will be, um, you know, horrible and and all of these things. And it's like, but you don't even orgasm from penile penetration like clitoris is the way so there's lots of people who are in partnerships with someone who has a quote micro penis and, and for people at home that may not know it's like what three inches yes yes so it's it's you know not what you would see on the on the porn scale right where those are like eight inches plus um as you're as we're talking about this i'm like wow like i need to do more research but lots of people have very pleasurable sex with penises that size because the way to orgasm is clitoral stimulation so it's Penis is not even required. Some people love penis. Some people don't. Mm -hmm. Like, And that's really about personal preference. But when I was telling my friend, who's a urologist, he's like, I hear that all the time. He's like, any man who has a, a long penis that or a wide penis, that is their biggest problem is they're like, I cannot find a sexual partner because I don't want to hurt them. Like there's, there's a struggle with that. So you're right. There is what we see in porn and that can be a big disservice to men. But really that's like, it's so ironic, right? Because it's like we've got female bodies and we've got variation. Why is it that men want to see large penises? Like, is this a power thing? Is this mm -hmm. like, like, and um, it's just so interesting to to think about that and how that's glorified. And that might be another reason why women aren't watching the heterosexual porn is because mm -hmm. big penises can be really scary. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, I was just in conversation with two women yesterday and they were like, oh yeah, like I had to get out of relationships because his penis was too big. And I was like, I didn't know what to do with this. And it was scary and it was hurting and I was just having problems. And um, in the book, I talk about the O-nut, which is an accommodation. So you can actually slide that on. And it's just basically like little spacer rings that you have a buffer there. And then he's still getting stimulated. He's getting, still getting pleasure, but you're controlling the depth of penetration. I'm like, how did somebody not invent this like decades ago? Mm -hmm. Like this is such a needed device because it's a real bummer to 
have compatibility with somebody um, in all the ways. And then sexually, it's incredibly frustrating and you can't have pleasurable sex together. And I know there's people who are like, that's so superficial and that shouldn't matter. It does matter. It is a part of the relationship that does matter. That can be part of the, you know, the shame spiral that you can get into. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you said that because that's what I was going to add is that like, then like we're already dealing with things that we've spoken about so much today, mm-hmm. right? Is how much shame and guilt that we have over things because we've been told a certain way, which actually isn't true. Yeah. And like, again, I'm always trying to see it from the other side. I'm like, I actually get the problem with the guys because they're, they're seeing porn where they're seeing, oh my God, look at this guy. He's like, you know, 10 inches or whatever. He's making women squirt left, right and yeah, center. Yeah. That's what a quote unquote man must mm-hmm. be. And so now if I've got whatever size, I'm now either less than or I'm comparing. Yeah. Um, and then thinking about the people, the guys that have the micro penis, like, that really fucking sucks for them because yeah. women have been taught, shown in porn yeah. that actually what makes a man, again, I'm doing quote unquote for anyone just listening, is the bigger the better. And yeah, yeah. I'm now thinking about how that does the men a disservice and then they feel the shame and then what they bring into the, the bedroom, right, with the mm-hmm. confidence part of it, I'm sure then just changes everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about just how much uh, people are shamed about their bodies in general and then you take it to the genitals and it's a whole next level, mm. right? I mean, it is... I think when it comes to genital shame, it is just as bad for men as it is for women. I think there's a lot more um, euphemisms and jokes that have been thrown around about female anatomy and men have been able to dominate spaces where they throw that around. And so that has been something I think has gotten more attention. But I mean, it is it is completely socially acceptable to shame somebody for having a small penis when you look at what happens in media, when you look at what happens... Um, just in conversations online is that socially it's okay to have a laugh about that and it really shouldn't be yeah the last thing is where is our g-spot oh (laughs) highly debated does it even exist Yeah. yeah so um so it used to be thought that like on the anterior wall so belly button side um about like you know about the two knuckles in maybe a little bit further, there, there's a G spot. This is now very highly debated because now that, now that we understand the clitoris isn't just this little button, but it's like this wishbone structure that comes down. The question is now, is it actually the clitoris? Like, is it actually the internal clitoris that has been being stimulated? And so. This is something that, like, you will see. I mean, people fight about this. Like, they get big mad about, like, no, of course there is a G spot. No, there's no way there's a G spot. Like, that's just misinformation. And like, and what people trying to help you have better sex is that like horrible? The the what it comes down to is that I'm like, if you find that's pleasurable, who cares what spot it is? Like, who cares what spot it is if you find it pleasurable? There's some people who like their cervix um, stimulated. They find that incredibly pleasurable. Um, there's people having nipple gasms. There's people thinking off. Like, whatever it is, if you, if you can check the box that that was pleasurable for me, it's normal. And who cares what we call it or what we name it? Like, you don't have to have, like, I feel like that is part of, like, you know, what magazines and everything do is they've got a name, like, you know, the next best orgasm, like the corgasm. You can get off by working out. And I'm like, it's a very spontaneous thing. Nobody's intending to. They're just, like, doing a core exercise. And then they're like, something just happened. Or the pegasm, which is where you uh, have to pee so bad. Um, usually this happens, like, in the middle of the night. You wake up and you're like, I'm having an orgasm. It- that's because like there's just so much stimulation happening there. I don't advise that. Don't try for a pegasm. Holding your bladder that long, you're going to end up with UTI. That's bad news. Just work on what feels good for you. 
what's pleasurable for you. And if you're in a partnership, the boxes you check is that it was consensual and we both enjoyed ourselves. And then we do not worry about what we're calling the, you know, what we're labeling things, whether it's kink, whether it's not kink, what your doctor would say about it, what your mom would say about it. Like, we just don't care. Just don't care. It's normal. It's normal. Oh, yeah. Girl, where can people find you, everything you're doing, and your amazing book, Is This Normal? Yeah, so Is This Normal is everywhere that books are sold. And then you can find me at Brighton on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and then my main hub is drbrighton.com, which I have a ton of women's health information that you can access for free and learn all about your body.